Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Making my way downtown, walking fast. Faces pass and I'm homebound. Making a way, making a way through the crowd. You ready? And I need you. And I miss you. And now I wonder if I could fall into Happy Friday, everybody. You made it. You made it to the end of the week. Congratulations. Hope it was a good week. Even if it was a bad week. Man, it's over. Beautiful morning out there. And uh, what what better way to start that morning than, than to hear the songbird of our generation. <laughs> Turn it up, Johnny. Thank you, Vanessa. You're excused. I'll see you next Friday. <laughs> Gotta love Fridays. How you doing, O? I am doing great. Uh, Friday, right? And it's... A little bit cooler this morning. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, smiled like the Grinch, right? The Grinch, and the Grinch that sold Christmas, the big, like, evil smile this morning when I woke up and, like, checked the weather. I was like, oh, okay, kind of, you know, get some good temperatures until, like, noon and it'll warm up afternoon. But it's the little things that count. It's the little things that make me happy, Nate. And, you know, starting off my day in the 60 degrees, it makes me happy. Do you identify with the Grinch? Oh, do I identify with the Grinch? What do you What do you mean by that one? I don't know. I mean, do you you know you just compared yourself to the Grinch smiling, oh. and you know, do you do you is is that a cartoon that spoke to you? I mean, I loved that cartoon as a kid, mm. but that character. I mean, do you feel like the Grinch sometimes? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, feel like the what is like a. The Grinch was like an outcast, right? And he was. Trying- he was like, he, his heart was real cold, but then it gets warmed up at the end, and he, he discovers love, and he, you know, saves the day when he was originally planning to... Yeah, ruin it, to right? ruin it, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, I guess, you know, there was times where I was young, and I'd just walk around pissed off at the world <laughs> and stuff like that, but uh, that was because of my situation, you know, um, knowing that we were poor. Right. When when my mom was trying to tell us that we weren't and, you know, knowing that we didn't have money to do certain things would get me feeling some type of way. So um, maybe maybe identify a little bit when I was younger. Not no more, though. I'm, I think we, I'm, I'm a happy okay. human being now because I because I do sometimes, man. Sometimes, you know, we're all grumpy and we have both sides of us. You talk about that like chip on the shoulder and and, and clearly that helped you in your football career. Right. Like having the chip on the shoulder, the aggression, the anger. That was part of your identity as a football player, right? Okay. Was it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. So how, did that disappear when you stopped playing football? Did it just evaporate? You know, because like you were not poor anymore when you were playing in football, but you still had the err, you know? And so, like, where did the err go? I went nowhere because, for me, it now switched over and was like, I, I got to make sure that I never end up back there. You know, um... Nate, you have a young child. I have two young children. Everything that I do on a day-to-day basis is to make sure that my children has has choices, both of them. Right? My my kids are bilingual. Uh, we're getting ready to introduce Mandarin here in a little bit. My kids are read to in English and read to in Spanish each day. Um, we play every sport, all the different options. Where for me, growing up, everything was no. You got to make this work. 
you don't have options. So like with football, football for me, it was either I was going to get a scholarship or I wasn't going to college. We didn't have the money. I remember even getting a scholarship to the University of Miami. My mom didn't have the money to, like, how everybody gets dropped off at the dorm with the, their laptop and their little fridge and, and all these different things. I got dropped off with two sheet sets, and my mom said, hey, we're going to try to figure this thing out as we go on. And, you know, a couple months went by, got a laptop. Like, a couple months went by, got a fridge for the room. A couple months got went by, got a printer, right? So we had to work towards these things. So for me, when I was drafted now, it was more so like, hey, I understand what it is to not have things and want things that I have to save up for, which builds character. And I want to d- definitely teach my children that, hey, we got to... You know, we can't get this right now. I find myself using that terminology with my kids. We can't get this right now, but we could save up for it. Not that we can't afford it or not that, you know, you're not getting it or anything like that. You know, just little things like that. But once I got to the NFL, I think a big part of me seeing the hardships and seeing that there was only one direction that I could go and there was only one path that I could take now made me start you know, thinking about my money and thinking about saving from day one to be able to walk away from the game and be able to sustain this lifestyle that I that I love. I love to be able to buy whatever the heck I want. I love to be able to, you know, help out people when I, I, I've done something with the precious hands for the, the um, organization, a precious child since my second year in the NFL. Even when I was playing with the Chargers, I still did something with the precious child here in Colorado. And then when I retired, I still I adopt families every single year. I love to be able to do that because me having my birthday nine days before Christmas, there was day, years that I got stuff for my birthday on December 16th. And nine days later, there was things getting rewrapped that I was receiving for Christmas as well. So kind of knowing all these things, I, I, I think that that's what helped me with the err still and, and still being focused and dialed in to try to become the best football player possible. Yeah, we've talked about this before on the show, the, the balance there, because, you know, you talk about your upbringing being a motivating factor for you having the success that you had. Yeah. And so you don't want your kids to not have that motivation, right? You don't want to just shower them, like you said, with everything that they want at all times, because Will they not be motivated in life? You know, like if you give your kids everything they want, are they not going to be driven? Are they not going to have something to strive for? Are they going to just be comfortable? You know, you see like the, the, the trust fund babies that uh, they get in a lot of trouble in the world. You know what I mean? Because they never have to work for anything. So so um, sounds like you're on, on the road to to finding that balance, not just, you know, showering them with everything they want. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, it's so hard, right? Uh, I mean, because a big part of me wanted to spoil the heck out of my kids and give them everything that I never had. But uh, other part of me can't wait to bring them to Jamaica. Can't wait to see that, show them like there's people that live in like zinc houses. There's people that live in messed up situations like um, planning a trip to Toronto to show my kids like where I grew up just in the in that Section 8 housing and and, you know, what was I did every single day and things like that. So, um, it's, it's just so interesting and, and unique how you're, you're, we constantly evolve as humans and we now change what we value. And at this point in my life, I, I just value teaching my kids that, Hey, your situation is your situation. But if you could lend a helping hand, please do so because there are the people that are just born into really, really crappy situations. And unfortunately, their life is going to be 10 times harder because of the situation that they're born into. And that was me. You know, they're able to skip over that because of what I was able to accomplish. But I definitely want them to understand that. 
Well said. Well said from the RamosLaw.com text line. Someone saying, careful with a multi-sport athlete, jack of all trades, master of none. I could not disagree more with that thought. And, I, and that, uh, you know, to be clear, that person is saying, don't put your kids in lots of sports. Put them in one sport and make them do that all year round until they get super good at it. Man, you watch the NFL draft, the, the, the first round alone. And this was, you know, the, the way it was for multiple years. I don't know how it is, has been the last couple of years, but 31 out of the 32 first round draft picks were multi-sport athletes in high school. You have to be an adaptable athlete. If you play the same sports from the time you're, you know, obviously everybody's different. Everybody's different. Some guys, very few though, start playing football at seven and never play another sport and end up, you know, retiring at 38 like Chad did. Um, but Chad played a lot of different sports. You played multiple sports, Orlando. I played multiple sports. For me, playing multiple sports as a kid allowed me to be more adaptable as an NFL athlete. When they asked me to play special teams, which I had never done before, that's a new skill set. Are you adaptable as an athlete? Have you played different sports? Are you used to doing different motions? If so, those transitions will be easier. I was asked to play tight end after playing receiver. Are you an adaptable athlete? Um, your body gets worn out if you do the same motions over and over and over. These kids, they start getting, you know, dedicated coaches at the age of 8, 9, 10, and that's all they do. They get worn out. Not only do their bodies get worn out, their minds do. They don't love the sport like you love it, Dad. They're not doing this because they want to do it. They're doing this because you want them to do it. So I just feel like, man, let your kids play as many sports as they can. Let them find what they like. Let them become adaptable athletes. Yeah. Um, couldn't agree with you more. I, I always went in high school from football season right into basketball season, right? And was a little bit behind. I, I would have like two or three weeks of just conditioning because now I had to cut weight and, and there was a different game, different animal. Um, but in high school, I, I truly believe that every you should play as many sports as possible because at the end of the day, it might be your last time doing it. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to go on and play college sports or go on and play uh, intramural in, in, in college. Didn't you do like some frisbee league or or, or was it a football league with the fr- fraternity? Frisbee league. I forgot what you said. It, it was football. Football. It was you know. They flag, both start with F. Flag. You're good. Flag football. But I was in a fraternity. It was like intramurals. You know. Yeah. It was just, we were just out there throwing the rock around. Oh yeah, but I, but I played, but I played floor hockey in college. I played floor hockey growing up in Toronto a, a ton. In, in I had like never done school. it until I got to college, and I was in a fraternity, and that was one of the intramural sports we Pretty played. Pretty fun, right? It was so fun, man! Yeah. Uh, basketball, um, all those, all those sports. And you were saying you were talking about basketball. You are, you look like a basketball player now. You have basketball background. Have you ever thought about just dusting them off and going out and shooting it around now? Because you have um, a body for it. Yeah, I, I, I try to shoot around with the kiddos as much as possible. Uh, my days of competitive basketball balls over. Uh, fun fact about me, I actually went to uh, a, a private school, all boys private high school in Toronto on a basketball scholarship. Wow. Yeah, St. Mike's Academy down there because I, I, that was, for a long part of my life, I thought that that is the sport that I was going to make it professional in. Then I realized that I was stopping <laughs> growing and I wasn't going to make it. I could only play the center or the power forward and I wasn't going to get to six, eight, six, nine. Right. You know, so I had to pivot and, and then go in a different direction. I gained, I doubled my body weight in high school. I walked into high school at 150 pounds. I walked out four years later at 310 pounds. My goodness. <laughs> what a transformation. All right, uh, thanks for rocking with us on a Friday. Guilty Pleasure Friday. If you want to hear a Guilty Pleasure song, you can text us in a song request. RamosLaw.com text line 303-713-1043. We've been doing our MVPs 
um, for each position group for the Denver Broncos. You guys are in luck today. We're going to do the specialists. That's right, the kickers. We'll get into that next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. I'm Don. Set a drift on memory bliss. This is a request from a texter. Thanks for texting in. You got a song request, Guilty Pleasure Friday. Let us know. 303-713-1043. Orlando, before we get into the specialists, and it's not just the kickers, it's the returners. And that position could really, really be up for grabs. That could be an, another interesting camp battle. But this morning, you know, I was getting ready to get out of get out of the house. It's always frantic because I took my son to daycare and I'm running around and, you know, I brush my teeth and the cap was off the toothpaste, which it often is <laughs> in our bathroom. Which, yeah, you know, not a big deal, right? Not a big deal. That would drive me so crazy. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. What are the little things? Around the house that aren't a, it's not a big deal, but it, but it is. Yeah. I think making, <laughs> making your bed, like, that, that's, whoever in our household, whoever gets out the bed last, that you better make it. Because we're both built the same way. So it's not a big deal in, to the rest of the world. And, and in hindsight, it's really not a big deal in our house because at some point, you know, the kids might go in the room and jump on the bed or, you know, we might just, you know, go watch a movie with the kids at some point or do some, you know, do some learning activities in the bed. Like my family will we'll go in the bed and we'll sit down and, and hang out in bed and do different things. To right? clarify, you have like a giant bed, right? Not right now. Oh, but okay. um, I, 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 I have an elasting king that's nine feet by nine feet and that's in storage right now because we're <laughs> renting a house. Um, But that's what was... Like, I was looking forward to that and, you know, I wanted that. I wanted uh, to create a atmosphere where the kids wake up in the morning, they come in mommy and daddy's room and, you know, everybody gets their own space in bed and we could watch a movie and we could, you know, get, get, go get a couple bowls of cereals or, or, you know, mom and dad could have coffee and kind of just hang out on those weekends where you're just kind of lounging and getting into it slower than you normally do because I promise you this, Nate, right now it's 9.15. About two hours ago, it was go, 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 eat the breakfast, here you go, put your socks on it was yeah. just running around right, right? it's right. chaos in yeah. the morning right yeah. so uh, on the weekends i want to make sure that yeah we're not doing that but um i would say making our bed is something big and me and my wife we're both built the same if the other person gets out of the bed last and doesn't make the bed yeah we're uh, <laughs> you're gonna have a problem it. you're gonna hear about it <laughs> uh from the ramoslaw.com text line the toilet paper on the wrong way mm. that's a big one but what is the wrong way what is your way is it is it coming down the front or is it rolling down the back orlando and when you put it on Wow, I think it comes down the front. I think it's easier, right? It's if it comes down, the front, comes down the front. But it like it's easier to rip off. Yeah. Like when you just kind of that quick jerking motion. Yeah. When you do it the opposite way and you try to do the quick jerking motion, don't you end up like unraveling more toilet paper than you need, I think. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Any anybody who puts it rolling down the back, like what 
you, you need to have a talk with yourself. You need to look yourself in the mirror and ask what has gone wrong in your life and how you can correct it. <laughs> Ramoslav.com text line. Tell us, tell us the little things around the house with your roommate, significant other, family member that drive you crazy. But it's really not a big deal. It's hard to have to sit down and have a conversation about it. But argh, just put this back on. Mm-hmm. All right. Denver Broncos training camp starts one week from today. Exciting times. We're almost there, um, and everyone's excited about it. We've been going position by position. We started on the defense. We broke down each position group. We chose an MVP. Today we're doing specialists, so that's not just the kicker or, and the punter. That's also the returners, and I want to start by talking um, about the returners and just break down a little bit what they did last year. Now, Montreal Washington was selected last year to be the returner, basically. Um, you know, <sighs> I don't think he was selected with an idea that he was going to be a, uh, an impactful receiver here. Maybe not, especially not in the first year, but this guy was um, a, an electric player in college, a smaller school player. But the idea was that he was had some, some vision and some tendencies and some abilities in the return game that were really going to be special and that we were, able, go, were going to be able to capitalize on. Well, he had a rough year back there. He really did. He had some issues securing the ball. Um, just, you know, that's your number one job as a returner to catch that thing. Yeah. Right. Before we get into his, his performance and how, you know, who might step in instead, DMAC has a theory that you should never return it, that you should always just kind of fair catch it, take it from where it is and not risk that, that the return itself is too risky and that it should be taken out of football. Do you, do you agree with that sort of stance? No, I've had Trendon Holiday on my football team. I had Travis Benjamin. I went to the University of Miami and watched what Devin Hester did at University of Miami, but also watched what he did in the National Football League. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I think, you know, there, there's hidden yardage in, in special teams. You know, there's nothing better for an offensive lineman than when a team is at about their 40 getting ready to punt and you're like, man, we're going to be backed up. And all of a sudden there's an explosive play on punt return and you end up around midfield. It's like 15 yards. We're already in field goal range, boys. Here we go. Let's let's go get this, right? We, we know that we're going out there to go get some points. So I think special teams can have the biggest impact on the game as well because your offense and defense are on the, off the field. And if you get that spark from special teams, man, everybody's feeling really, really good about their self. As special teams is able to kind of rip one off and, and have an explosive return where now you're already in field goal range and then you go punch it in or they score a touchdown. So for me, I, I love the game of special teams, and I hope that they never get rid of it. Well, I agree with you one hundred percent. Not just because you know I played special teams, but I but I watched the momentum of a game shift because of a special teams play, and um, how important that is to spark a team that may have lost some momentum or you know provide a big play for the team for the defense or the offense coming on the field. When you look at the Denver Broncos last year, Orlando on kickoff returns, they were last. Out of 32. 32 out of 32 in kickoff return yards, 17.5 yards per return. The leaders were the Indianapolis Colts with a whole 27.8, 10 yards more. And that, that's, a, that's a first down. And, and I would imagine, you know, <laughs> your field position determines the likelihood that you're going to score. That has to change. Montreal Washington um, was the guy returning those last year. He had 18 attempts. For 18.9 yard average, 340 yards. And when you look at the punts, punt returns, which he also was in charge of. Um, and let's see, let's go over here to the, to the punt average. The Broncos, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the pack on the punt returns. He had 8.3 yards per return. 
There were teams with a lot lower, but there were teams with a lot higher. So I think that they need to figure out how to get more out of that position and that play in particular. Now, it's not is just it, Montreal. Yeah, is it, but is it because of, you know, the altitude and, and typically when you're here in Colorado and these guys got to play eight, maybe sometimes nine home games a year, um, is it just easier to fair catch it in a situation like that when you know that you're playing in altitude and that ball is going to travel a little deeper in the end zone? Um, you know, that is something you have to judge. And, and it's especially with the Broncos being like last on kickoff return. Right. And so, so there could have been some instances where he thought he was catching it at the one or two yard line and he's really catching it three yards deep. He doesn't really see where he is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, a guy, he's looking up in the air like that. He has his feet on a certain landmark and he, you know, he, you don't want to go backwards, but he doesn't really feel it. And all of a sudden, boom, he's bringing it out three or four yards deep. That's what you don't want. And that's just experience and, understanding the carry of the ball and the altitude and whatnot. But Montreal, Washington is is probably a long shot to make this roster. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yes. Um, I do agree with that. I, I, he's not a Sean Payton guy. Sean Payton has added already to a deeper, a deep wide receiver room. Um, so I don't think that Montreal, Washington, I, I think if he's on, if he's wearing a Denver Bronco uniform, he, he's wearing it on the practice squad and, and he's able to squeak through and they're hoping that he develops into something. So, if it isn't going to be Montreal Washington returning the kicks, who's it going to be? Is it be, going to be Marvin Mims Jr., the rookie uh, speedster? Is it going to be K.J. Hamler, perhaps? Maybe he can show his worth on special teams by getting out there and returning some kicks. Yeah. Um, is it going to be Kendall Hinton? He did some of that last year and did it pretty well. Or are there any other names you'd like to see out there? Yeah. So a lot of those names that you just you know mentioned, I think all those guys are going to be battling to be the punt returner and the kickoff returner for the Denver Broncos. I'll throw another one in there, Jalen Virgil, right? So uh, maybe little Jordan Humphreys, right? I mean, so you, there's more and more names, but ultimately my MVP of this group is going to be Marvin Mims Jr. Because when I look at the one, he's going to have these other guys clicking at his heels trying to get an opportunity on special teams because there's not going to be that many opportunities on offense. Right now, what are you going to be, Marvin Mims Jr., the fourth receiver? Because trust me, Sean Payton is going to try to get everything that he can out of Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy. Those guys are solidified in this offense. So now you got to start looking around and seeing where you could play rep, where you could steal some reps. I think Marvin Mims steals all the reps when it comes to special teams and becomes the Broncos kickoff returner and punt returner. But also I think it's going to look a lot different this year because now you got a, a rookie second-round pick that has nothing else to do other than make sure that he's successful on special teams because he's not going to get enough reps on offense during the week, but he's certainly not going to get enough reps on Sunday as well on offense. So I think he's going to be able to focus on that and ultimately have success there because of it. I like what you're saying with that. I agree with you. He's going to have a hard time really making an impact on offense unless one of those guys goes down. Um, and those big three, they're trying to figure out which of those three, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, are going to be the guys going forward. So they're always going to, those guys are going to get opportunities. Uh, Marvin Mims Jr. should get opportunities in the kick return game in college. He was more of a punt returner than a kick returner. He only had four total kick returns in college. Um, but his punt returns, he had 13 in 2020, 10 in 2021, and 9 in 2022. Not a ton. But he averaged 15.2 yards last year for the Oklahoma Sooners as a punt returner, which is a really good average there. So he's going to get his chances, and I agree with you. Marvin Mims Jr. Uh, is going to be the MVP there. But he's going to have some competition. I would not be surprised if one of those other guys ascends because, th- like you said, this is their ticket. Somebody's ticket is right here at this position. All right, um, Lane Kiffin. 
had some in- interesting things to say about the NIL. Also, Robert Sala says, Hard Knocks featuring the Jets will be fine. We're going to do that more and more in the morning mixtape. Yep, yep, you're you're Next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. From the Ramaslot.com text line, when there's trimmed beard hair or women's long hair in the sink or on the bathroom counter, also when people don't wash away their toothpaste spit or mouthwash, just leave it in there to get all crusty. I agree with you. Yeah, I'd uh, lose my mind. Yeah. What else uh, What else is a pet peeve around the house, guys? All right. We're rocking with uh, morning mixtape here. Lane Kiffin sounding off on the NIL. He says the NIL has legalized cheating. When everybody was like, oh, we got this NIL. It's great. And, you know, in this portal, it's great. Oh, whoa. And I'm not saying I was the only one saying, I'm like, whoa, this is a disaster coming because you just legalized cheating. And you just told the donors they can pay the players. That's what you did. And then, you know, it's supposed to be set up, well, it's really for your name, image, likeness, for your marketing. That's not what's happening. They're getting paid to go to school. So it's paid for play. Does he have a point there, Orlando? Yeah, but uh, I, I promise you this. At some point of Lane Kiffin's stop, there's been an athlete that um, a brown envelope has been dropped on the ground, and that athlete has picked it up. <laughs> I, I promise you that. It, it happens all over college He's football. Point. So um, for this right now, I could understand when certain coaches are mad it, because it evens the playing field. It now allows that, you know, that number one recruit to go to Jackson State with Dion. Right. We come in. Right. I mean, it, it changes kind of what you can and can't do. But I think ultimately it ends up even in the playing field. We knew that there was going to be issues with it. We're seeing it. We talked about it. It's, it's going to be mercenaries, and you're hiring people to pay for play. But this is what college football is now. And back in the day, it was always pointing towards this, and there were teams doing it already. So might as well legalize cheating because a lot of people were getting away with it each and every year. Uh, you went to Miami, and uh, that's one of the most kind of venerable, storied, popular um, you know, um uh, schools, uh, universities, programs in the country. Did you see a lot of those brown envelopes falling? Did you pick them up? Um, no, because we had already got in trouble for it. Uh, but um, had, I, watching you had guys. I went half a decade earlier, I, I'm sure there would have been some brown envelopes that were on the ground. And guess what, Nate? I would have Great picked cash, up homie. every single one of them. <laughs> every single one of them. And told them, yeah, don't worry about it. Just drop it on the, leave it on the floor. I'll pick it up. Love it. <laughs> and now they don't have to They don't have to play those games. They can just get it uh, above the, bo- the table, not below the table. All right. There's been some consternation about Hard Knocks. Nobody wanted to do it, but Robert Sala says that Hard Knocks featuring the Jets is going to be fine. We're fine. I mean, we've been doing one Jets drive for the last couple of years, so it's uh, just talking with Hard Knocks. And, uh, you know, they've got a great group of people that uh, are working with us, and uh, we express some of our concerns. They've uh, they've answered it, and it's going to be fine. Yeah. Some of our concerns. What, what do you think those are? Well, too much access, getting involved in game planning, seeing too much behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, I, I think that it's yeah, it's more of a those moments where a guy does something in practice, and you're like, whoa, right? Like, hey, we might mean we might need to put that play in, right? Um, because when you just watch football as a body and you just stare at a practice film, you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. When you stare at like what, what you're going to watch in Hard Knocks, you don't know what you're looking at unless you provide context with it, right? So I think it's when they're seeing what they're looking at now. 
we might be having conversations amongst ourselves. Those conversations that we're having amongst ourselves, you guys can't air those conversations publicly. Yeah. Because they give better context. They give uh, a better, you know, a look underneath the hood where you really could understand what these guys are trying to get accomplished. But as far as access, go ahead. Because we know that there are a lot of facilities right now that are wired for sound, wired for video. Players are being watched as soon as they walk into facilities. That happens around the NFL all, everywhere. I did a coaching internship and I, I know that they had like they have microphones and video and and then a coach in his office could like come flip into the, switch. the yeah, flip the switch and then and like come into the, the meeting and, and start having a conversation with you as a oh, player. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So say you're sitting there from as, his office, he can just like beam in his voice. Yeah. So say you're sitting there as a player and you're watching film, right? And you're yeah. there with your buddies, and you know you were you know coaching up a younger guy and you say something wrong. That coach now, if he's in his office and had his microphone on or his listening device on, right, and these players know that it's there, he'd be like, hey, remember, we're actually at seven steps on that instead of five. That's creepy, though, too. another opportunity to uh, correct them. Come on. We knew that this was going on a couple years. Remember yeah, with um, the, the quarterbacks and the Drew, mask Drew Locke and, and all they them. took their masks off. Yeah, and, and destroying it. Well, how did they figure that out? Because there's videotape oh, all over man. the, the thing, right? Be, yeah, there was always, like, the rumor, you know, and this was 20 years ago I played for the Broncos, so there was always, like, the, the rumor that, hey, man, even in the locker room, like, when someone would start talking bad about the coaches or whatever, people would be like, hey, man, like, Pointing yeah. point to the sky or whatever, like they're listening. Yeah. They're, even Absolutely. though, <laughs> even though they probably weren't like in the locker room, I don't think the block, mo- locker room was bugged. Everyone was sort of paranoid that it was. Uh, but the meeting rooms were definitely mic'd up and um, and they had the cameras in there and they had a little switch on the wall that could turn it off. And so sometimes a position coach, when he wanted to do like real talk, mm-hmm. he'd, he'd like go over and flip the switch off yeah, and then, you know, tell you what he really wanted to tell you. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, now we're getting the real stuff because, yeah. uh, you know, the man isn't listening now. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, you're always being watched. You're always being recorded. It's nothing new for the players. I think the coaches are the ones that get a little, little bit paranoid. All right, the Washington Commanders officially sold for a record $6.05 billion. Owner Dan, Dan Schneider was fined $60 million Orlando over findings in the investigation led by Mary Jo White. Here's Roger Goodell talking about it. The findings speak for themselves. Um, we had an obligation to, to release those publicly. Uh, we did. We shared those with the ownership today. Had a full discussion of that. You know, that's the findings do speak for themselves, particularly with Ms. Johnson. That's inappropriate. It's the wrong, and it doesn't match our values. Uh, and so, again, her findings were, were clear and her findings. Her findings, her findings, her findings. Do you, do you feel comfortable with how Roger Goodell handled this whole Dan Snyder investigation from the start? From from a sense of what, exactly? Because um, there's so many different layers to it. Well, everyone has known he's a scumbag for a long time, and, yeah. and, and they've wanted to push him out. He's been, and, and there was an accusation by, you know, John Gruden that... Um, that Dan Snyder was kind of working with Roger Goodell to discredit um, John Gruden, and was John was Goodell too buddy buddy with Dan Snyder and too protective of what he had going on there in Washington? Yes, absolutely. Um, when I hear that the cheerleaders for the, that football team are now you know on an island with certain people of of you know Dan Snyder's buddies, I think that's grounds for itself to be kicked off. Uh, not being a, a owner of an NFL football team. When I hear that these cheerleaders are now encouraged like to take certain photos, and it's just kind of like, why are you even here as an owner? 
right? So for me, I think that the writing's been on the wall when you look at a guy like Dan Schneider. Um, it should have not, it shouldn't be 2023 where he's now getting in trouble. It should have been many, many years ago. And if that's because of Roger Goodell, I mean, we, we got to take a hard look at Roger Goodell moving forward because, um, you keep on talking about these findings and the accusations that were um, up there for Dan Snyder as far as, you know, inappropriate behavior towards a female in the workplace and um, not paying. Uh, I think it was like not paying somebody the right amount and withholding like some kind of, those accusations alone. If you go do that in the real world, what's going to happen to you? Yeah, you're, you're probably going to end up in jail. So. Because you're an owner of an NFL football team doesn't mean that you get to escape these things. I think the $60 million fine is not enough. I think it should be like, hey, we're going to take half of what you're selling this football team for to really hurt you in this situation. <laughs> like, a little three billion? Uh, yeah, no, like, this is horrible. Like what he's been doing and what he's accused of, then now taking this fine, it's absolutely horrible. It makes it just makes me sick to my stomach. I feel like throwing up thinking about it, Nate. Yeah, kick rocks, Dan Snyder. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Uh, someone on the Ramoslaw.com text line saying they have a pet peeve. My wife never closes a cabinet and often leaves the fridge door open. Mm. Drives me nuts. Have you had what? multiple conversations with her about this? Have you lost your mind? Have you melted? Have you expressed this? Yeah. And if you try to, does she get angry with you and turn it back on you? And now you become the bad guy. You know what you should do? You should just, like, tape the cabinet shut. Make it extremely hard for her to get in the cabinets and just be like, hey, I'm doing this because now you put some could, Velcro on yeah, it. You, you should realize now that, hey, close the cabinets when, once it's done. Once you're done unraveling it and finally get into that cabinet, <laughs> just take the half of a millisecond to just push it in fast. Um, what are your pet peeves, guys? Hit us up. 303-713-1043. Is Russell Wilson... The quarterback in the NFL with the most pressure in 2023. Some around here might think so, but there's a national media set member who says no. That's next. Denver Sports Station 1043. The band presents the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Shout out to Sissy Music Friday. Yeah. That texture. That's right. Is this Sissy Music? Nah, take this for Sissy Music, bro. This is Warrant Cherry Pie, right? Is that right? Yeah. Love me a little Warrant. Nice little 80s hair band. I think I had this cassette back in the day. You ever owned a cassette tape, Johnny? Cassette tape now. But like one of the CDs? like dual CD and cassette players, like right. the boombox ones, owned one of those. As but a did kid. you uh, do you have any cassette tapes? Uh, my dad did, so like he has a huge collection of them. But me personally, no, I was a little uh, before my. You're a time. CD guy. Yeah, I was a CD CD Walkman guy. Oh yeah, the walk. As a little yeah, kid, that'd be a disc yeah. Man. That'd be a disc man. Yeah, and then just like yeah, again, as like you know, seven, eight year old had like an actual like one of those big CD players. Yeah, seven, eight. What were you rocking at seven and eight on your CD player? Oh man, what was? It's funny because I make fun of Stoke for it almost every day, but I owned a Nickelback CD. I owned Reeds for a CD. Uh, uh, NSYNC, a little bit of NSYNC. A little bit of NSYNC. Yeah, a little bit of NSYNC. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, 
like Lincoln Park, Green Day when I got okay. into like middle school. Yeah, that, um, that's when you got like angsty and cool. And, exactly. Like, Just that anti-authoritarian. Teen angst, yeah. yeah. Leave me alone, mom! Exactly. <laughs> well, um, we got a pet peeve that, yeah, that, I don't know, maybe you guys will identify with it. It, it um, struck a chord with you, Orlando. There are multiple, there are some good ones being texted in right now. Well, this one is, my girl doesn't flush the toilet after a number one. Mm. It can be multiple number ones before flushing. Thankfully, she does after number two. So, yeah, that's uh, gross. Yeah, I would definitely have a problem with that. Was there a context to it? Because you were talking about, well, maybe it's at night. She doesn't want to flush it and wakes people up. Is is, is that? Well, okay? I was just like trying to figure out how there could be multiple number ones before flushing, and I was just saying, okay, well. You know, I always try to figure out why people do the things that they do. So um, even though I think that that's gross and I would lose my mind, I'm still trying to put it to context of why this young lady might be doing this. And I was just like, maybe it's at night. Maybe, you know, she's afraid of flushing the toilet. Maybe that sound wakes her up, makes her a little bit more alert where she can't go to sleep. So maybe she <laughs> yeah. goes to the bathroom a couple times a night and doesn't flush it. Because if you're doing that during the day, that's just, well, if you're doing that, period, it's just disgusting in my opinion. But if you're doing that during the day, it's like, come on, like, just common courtesy. Just, just press the button. Well, back in the day, like in, in California, we would have some some drought type of situations. And the idea would be if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Yeah, I've had so it's that. a conservation type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I I've lived in California. I lived there for um, 2014, or no, 2015 and 16, and halfway through 2017. And um, yeah, those drought situations were real, and they're still real out there. But um, I'm flushing the toilet, Nate. I- I'm definitely flushing the toilet. My my lawn could suffer, you know. Um, but I'm gonna flush that toilet. <laughs> Speaking of toilet, someone else saying my pet peeve is when uh, my old lady leaves the seat down on the toilet. Leaves it down, yeah. so the expectation is that she's going to leave up it, for him. put it up for him. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, if we're really going for equality here, right? Like, I'm going to try to bring that up to my wife and see what she says. Someone saying my wife leaves things all over the kitchen counters and accuses me of never wiping down the counters. Mm. She wants me to wipe around the clutter. Yeah, uh, the best one I think is uh, my wife pulls the car in to the front of the garage so I can't get to my tools. I have hung <laughs> tennis balls for her to stop, uh, to create a stop point for her. Yet she takes them off saying she knows how to park. <laughs> that one, I feel that one in my heart. Because he, <laughs> he, he, you know, he does something right there to try to make the situation better. And his wife's like, yeah, don't need your help. I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing. I have a quick question for you guys regarding hard knocks I've been meaning to ask since yeah. we talked about him morning mixtape. Okay, just take the conversation wherever the heck you want to yeah, take man. it, John. Well, I've, I've, been bur- I've been wanting to ask you guys this all week. Um, do you think Nathaniel Hackett is going to be a star on hard knocks with his personality? Or do you even think he's even going to want to be like looking for the camera space? I don't think he's going to look for it, but I think he might. It might find him anyway because there's a good storyline there. I mean, the 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 bro the bromance with him and Aaron Rodgers that's a great storyline for Hard Knocks. The arrival of Aaron Rodgers and, and Nathaniel Hackett is the reason why he's there in a lot of ways, right? So I think they are going to want to highlight that friendship and that relationship and go into those meetings and see his meeting style because we've heard about you know how his meeting style from Aaron Rodgers is like this revolutionary entertainment multimedia like presentation thing that he does. I think they're going to want to see that. I think Nathaniel Hackett probably has a sense of freedom now that he's out of here, that he's out of the spotlight. He can get back to just coaching his guys and not worrying about the big picture. 
I, I do think that is going to be a, a storyline. I think he'll lean into it. You think oh. they're going to love him, though? Hard Knocks? Yeah, the Hard Knocks are just like, you Did know. Did you love him? Want... Did you love him before? At first, at yeah. First, I loved right? his personality until I started seeing how he coached. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I think Saul is going to give Nathaniel Hackett back to um, the way of coaching that, that Saul is used to, right? Where you're going to get after its high intensity and multiple reps and things like that. But, um, if I'm Nathaniel Hackett, I'm actually looking for the cameras. I'm looking for the cameras because I know that it's, there's a unfair perception of me and people just thinking that, you know, I kind of just did whatever the heck I wanted to do out there. Now having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers that is smart, that is going to get, put you in the best situation possible and understands like kind of the limitations of the offense a little bit better than I think Russell Wilson understood last year. I think Nathaniel Hackett's going to look like a genius this year with having Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. So if I'm Nathaniel Hackett, I'm actually looking for that camera because I know I can now change the perception of me. So if Nathaniel Hackett does look like a genius this year and has a great year there, does that make Russell Wilson look bad? Does it make Russell Wilson look bad if yeah, Daniel Hackett has a great year? Yeah. Um, no, because I truly believe that you, you got to look at it. Last year, Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson tried to take Russell Wilson's offense and Nathaniel Hackett's offense and tried to, you know, put it in the same pot and, and create an offense together. Nathaniel Hackett just went back to the offense that he's always had with Aaron Rodgers, right? Everything in the, his offense and his mindset fits Aaron Rodgers, right? So I think that when both of them together, you could point the blame at each either e, e, either one. Them separated now, I think Nathaniel Hack gets the benefit of the doubt with that New York Giant, Jets um, football team and, and how they approach it and that fan base looking at it where, you know, Russell Wilson is here, like Nathaniel Hacker just got that fresh start. Russell Wilson's still, you know, 10 steps behind, right, where he has to catch up and, and make way. Well, Nathaniel Hackett's offense was the, the last in the league as far as points scored last year here with the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Who do you think is going to be a higher scoring offense this year, the New York Jets or the Denver Broncos? Wow. See, that's the interesting one. Um, my money on it, honestly, today, I would say the New York Jets. I would really say the New York Jets because – I think that Nathaniel Hackett's going to be Aaron Rodgers' consultant, but that style of play really works for Nathaniel Hackett, or style of coaching really works for Nathaniel Hackett with Aaron Rodgers. What Russell was trying to do last year didn't work because Russell was trying to reinvent himself and become this this pocket passer, and yet the Broncos didn't have the tools around him to have that. So, um, yeah, that that's super interesting, but I think ultimately... What was the question again, Nate? Who's going to be the higher scorer off a scoring yeah. offense? I think it's the Jets. Yeah, and there's still a lot of question marks. Yeah, on on the Broncos football team. I, I think when you look at even tight end, right? You, you have specific guys for specific things um, in the running back room. There's still major question marks in that running back room, and this offensive line is one injury away from being decimated. So you you got to find a way to keep these guys healthy, and you still have no idea how it's going to shake loose in this wide receiver room. So you're worried about offensive line depth? Yes. Um, I want to go over that a little bit because we kind of <laughs> blazed through this segment. So we'll get into the um, the quarterback rankings, or at least who has more pressure on them as we go along. But <sighs> let's look at this offensive line depth because starting, we have a really good starting unit. Garrett Bowles. Yeah, I'm very comfortable with with starters. Ben Powers, 
Lloyd Cushenberry. That's the question mark. Quinn Miners, an ascending young player, and Mike McGlinchey, your big offseason acquisition there. So penciled in right now as your starters at left, or I'm sorry, as your backups at left tackle, you got Cam Fleming, left guard, backing up Ben Powers, you got Quinn Bailey. Uh, backing up your center, you got Luke Wattenberg, and also Alex Forsyth was drafted, and Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller also backing up Quinn Miner, Quinn Miners, and backing up Mike McGlinchey, you got Isaiah Prince. Mm. So those those names are, are question marks to you, basically all across the board. Who's your strongest backup there? It's Cam Fleming, right? The strongest backup there, I would say, is Kyle Fuller at the center position if he becomes the backup center. Okay. But then, yes, you know, Cam Fleming, you feel comfortable with him if he has to go in at the right tackle position. But, you know, my, my, it's scary with him at the left tackle position, you know, doing having to protect the blind side. I think when you look at this whole entire group, you know, if you get an injury, say, at left guard, don't feel good about the plan. If you get an injury at the right guard position, don't really feel good about the plan moving forward. You know, if you get an injury at right tackle, okay, we could get by for a couple games, but I, how long? And you're going to have to change your whole style of play where now it's like, hey, Javante or Samaji Piran, you got to go chip help. Hey, you know, Greg Dulcich or Manhurst, we're going to keep you in and help out, you know, the, the backups. Um, the depth is just not where I would like it for this offensive line to be at all, just with the NFL being 100% injury. Is that the case on every team, though, to an extent? Like, you know, like... Are the are the backups for the? I mean, obviously you don't know all the, and I don't know all the backups for all these other teams. But you know, you think about when you played, yeah. the guys who were backing you up. I mean, did you feel always comfortable with those guys? Yes, because those backups could go on other football teams and be starters. Chris Clark was a backup swing tackle, stepped in in 2013 after halfway through game two, and we became the highest scoring offense in NFL history. Um. You, you look at, you know, certain times where having a backup like, you know, uh, uh, I'm spacing Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez was a starter out there in Detroit and then ended up starting games after, right? So you look at kind of how it was, we were always developing guys and the backups that were behind us when I was here with the Broncos, they could play multiple positions, but the starters also were, were forced to play multiple positions in OTAs and training camp. Like I played right tackle here, but I took snaps every training camp and every OTA at right guard and left guard. I, I've had played two and a half years at left guard in college. So that's what they wanted me. They cross-trained me. Um, Chris Cooper was the right guard, right? Chris Cooper took snaps at right guard, center, left guard, right? Uh, J.D. Walden was the center. J.D. took snaps at center, right guard, left guard. Zane Beatles was the left guard, right? But the year before had played right tackle, but he also took snaps at right guard as well and was the emergency center in games, right? Mountain Clady, he's left tackle. He just has to play left tackle, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But everybody was all constantly being cross-trained. When I look at, like, Quinn Bailey, nothing against him, but he's been here for years, and I don't think that he's developed that much, Still, where I feel comfort- comfortable or confident, if you know we had an injury to um, Ben Powers, now with him going in and, and having to be the starter for four or five, six weeks. Well, Russell Wilson's got some more help there. Fifty-five sacks last year, guys. Fifty-five sacks. That was a career high for him in only fifteen games. So the offensive line play has to improve. But they got new coaches, and that's a start right there. Coaching matters. Coaching matters a lot. We've seen that, and uh, hopefully that's going to improve. All right, Callen. Callen. Colin Cowherd has a list of five quarterbacks with the most pressure in 2023. Is Russell Wilson number one 
We'll find out next.